We're going to turn our attention to God's Word. And so I want you to take your Bible and open to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. We're going to focus on a verse in Luke, chapter 9. <clears throat> if you're here for the first time this morning, just to give you sort of the layout of what um, this always looks like for us, our Sunday mornings, like right now, um, we're, we're usually studying through a book of the Bible together. We usually walk sort of verse by verse or paragraph by paragraph through books of the Bible. And so, for example, last year, fall and spring, we studied through the book of Ephesians. And then this past summer, just coming out of summer, we studied through the Old Testament book of Daniel. And um, this school year, fall and spring, uh, actually starting in three weeks from today, um, we're going to study through Hebrews uh, on Sunday morning. So just to give you a heads up, uh, I hope you'll stick around with us and, and join us for that study. And if you do, I commend that to you go ahead and start reading Hebrews and, and uh, be thinking about it for yourself. But, so that's Sunday mornings. We study through books of the Bible. CBS, College Bible Study, on Wednesday nights, usually at 8. This week is going to be at 7, um, is, is a little bit more topical. Um, and so this, this fall, um, we're going to be doing a series called Cross Culture and, and how, uh, which be, being very honest about the different things we all struggle with, like we all struggle with not just things outside of us that, uh, that, that are obstacles in our Christian walk, but let's be honest, we have things in our own hearts that are obstacles to our Christian walk. And so on Wednesday nights at CBS, we're going to talk about different things that we, let's be honest, if we all struggle with, and we're going to think about how to see those struggles through the lens of the cross. If we're believers, we've got to see everything through the lens of the cross. How to see the different things we struggle with, fear, anxiety, worry, or, or just you name it, uh, how to see it through the lens of the cross. That's going to be on, on Wednesday nights. It's a little more topical. But on Sundays, like I said, we study through books of the Bible, and like I said, we're going to be studying through Hebrews. But that won't be for another three weeks. In the meantime, beginning today and the next two weeks, we're going to be thinking through, in my estimation, one of the most important statements that Jesus made in the New Testament. Um, and that statement is, is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. So if you have found your, Luke 9 in your Bible, let's, let's read the passage together. We'll actually start in verse 23, and we'll read through verse 36 just to get a bigger context for what Jesus is saying. Um, starting in verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory, in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now about uh, eight days after these sayings, he took with him, Peter and John and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. 
And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake and saw his, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him, and as the, men who were, uh, as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. No kidding. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Typical Peter, by the way, talking. You don't even know what he's saying. He's just talking. He's a talker. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, uh, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Let's pray. Father, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, clear, and necessary word. It is our authority. We, we are to come under it and submit to it. Um, and so help us to do that. I pray, Father, that you would give us minds to understand the truth that is here. Give us eyes to see it. Give, give us hearts to embrace the truth that is here. And love it. And give us wills to obey whatever it is you say to us in this word. Give me the help that I need to teach. And again, give us all eyes to see and ears to hear, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so like I said, our main focus is going to be on Luke 9.23. That one verse is going to be our guide, both today and for the next two Sundays. And we're going to basically just pick it apart and think carefully about what he's saying. So let's look at that one verse one more time. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Every single word of that is important. Every single phrase, every single word, and it's worth our careful attention. So today, we're going to just look at the first part of that verse. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me. That's what we're going to focus on today. And I want us to see and think about two things from that that first half of the verse. The first is the Lord, who is, in view, who, who is in view when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, who is the me, all right? Who do you, the, the central question is, who, who is Jesus here? So let's think about the Lord, and the second is the invitation that we see, if anyone would come, if anyone would come. There is so much here, um, and we need to hear and, and pay careful attention to what Jesus is saying. So let's think first about the Lord, as Luke describes him here. There is not anything in, more important in your life. And I mean this very literally. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating for effect. There is not anything more important in your life than, than when you see Jesus say in this verse, if anyone would come after me, you know, and it is clear in your mind who he is. There's just nothing more important in your life. And that is Luke's whole aim and goal in this chapter of his gospel is to, he is trying to elicit the question in your heart and mind, who is Jesus? So that when you come to, if anyone would come after me, you know who he's talking about. 
So let me show you what I mean by that. We didn't read this part, but look back earlier in the chapter at verses 7 through 9. And, um, and we read, now Herod the Tetrarch, he was kind of a semi-king of the area. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, namely all that Jesus was doing and saying. He heard about that and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, that is John the Baptist. But by, uh, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. So Herod wanted to know who Jesus was, and the reason that Luke even put that in his gospel is for that question to arise. Herod saying, I, I, I beheaded John. I watched him die. So Who is this? He's wanting the reader to think the same thing. Yeah, who is this? Jesus. And then you keep reading the chapter. And and the next thing you find after that passage is Jesus miraculously feeding the 5,000, which is a lesson all in itself. But after Jesus feeds the 5,000, you read verses 18 through 20. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, The disciples were with him, and he asked them, and notice the question, who do the crowd say that I am? And and it's funny, the answer they give is the same answer that they gave to Herod. They said John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. So Herod wanted to know who Jesus was, Jesus asked who the crowds thought he was. Then he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Luke is being very obvious and intentional. He wants the same question to arise in your mind and heart. Who do you say that Jesus is? And then right after Jesus comes to our focal verse, if anyone would come after me, beginning in verse 28, that's the reason we read it, this is like Luke answering those questions. So three, three times it was asked prior to this passage, Herod wanted to know who the crowds say, who do you say, disciples? Now, Luke doesn't leave the answer just hanging out there. He gives us the answer, beginning in verse 28. It's not going to be on the screen, but just look at it again in your Bible. Verses 28 to 36. About eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face became, was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, the two men and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And he was, as he was saying these things, a cloud, notice all these details. A cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, another detail, saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. To the readers of that story in the first century, 
that would have been a jaw-dropping description. Because for many people, this would have been the first time they ever heard this story is when Luke wrote it down, because what's the last line? They kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. So Peter, James, and John had seen this, but when it was over, they didn't tell anybody. So uh, most people, even the other disciples perhaps, didn't even know this happened until later, and it was written down. And when they would have read this account in the first century, it would have been jaw-dropping to those who followed Jesus, it would have been the most majestic and encouraging things they had ever read. But to those who didn't follow Jesus, it would have made them want to crucify him and kill him for blasphemy. Because it, it is the, the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? The answer given in that story is, he is God. He's God. And it's not just because of the brilliance of the description. I mean, it is a brilliant description. His his face changed and his clothes were dazzling white and a cloud and a voice. I mean, it's majestic. But the reason it would have been so powerful to the, the readers of this, it, those who would have been familiar with their Bible and familiar with the Old Testament, it would have been all the more jaw-dropping because of the similarities between this story and, a, and another story they knew very well in the Old Testament in Exodus 24. So I want to show this to you briefly, as quickly as I can, uh, hold your place there in Acts 9, and then turn back and find Exodus, the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 24, and this is, Exodus 24 is in a neighborhood of Exodus where Moses had received the, the law, the Ten Commandments. And he had delivered the law to his, to his people. But in, in Exodus 24, Moses goes up on a mountain and meets with God. And I just want you to notice the description of the glory of the Lord that we have in this chapter. All right, here's, here's uh, Exodus. Beginning in verse 15, reading through the end of the chapter. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. That's a voice coming out of the cloud. Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The similar, and if you, if you haven't taken time to just really sit down and compare those two passages, it may not be immediately apparent. But when you do, the similarities between that passage right there and the passage we read earlier of the transfiguration in Luke 9 are crazy. And they're very intentional, according to Luke. So think about the similarities we might see between those two passages. In this passage in Exodus, Moses goes up on the mountain in the transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. When Moses is up there, uh, he describes the appearance of God's glory when Peter, James, and John are up on the mountain. They describe the appearance of Jesus' glory. And then, what is the description like? Moses, when he's describing the appearance of the glory of the Lord, he describes it as a devouring fire. Right? You may not immediately see this in, the, in, in, in Luke 9, but when Peter, James, and John are describing the glory of Jesus, it says his clothes became dazzling white. 
Well, more literally, in the Greek there, it says his clothes were like a flash of lightning, which to me sounds like a devouring fire, right? And it says, it says that Moses saw his glory, and it very deliberately says that Peter, James, and John saw his glory, Jesus' glory. And then, uh, very, in both stories, a cloud covered the mountain when Moses is on the mountain. When Jesus is there, a cloud covered and overshadowed them. In both of those stories, out of the cloud, of the voice of God speaks. Except, what does God say in Luke 9, in verse 35? He said, the voice says, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. Jesus is the focus. You can turn back to Luke 9 if you want. This is on purpose. Luke knows this story in Exodus. And he knows that what Moses saw was the very glory of God. And oh, by the way, when they saw Jesus' glory, it was the very glory of God. And the kicker of them all is this. When Moses was up on that that mountain, think back to the Old Testament storyline. When Moses was up on that mountain, meeting and seeing the glory of God, now he had just received the Old Testament law. But what is the big, huge, massive, historical event that had just happened when Moses was up on that mountain? The Exodus, right? The Exodus taking, bringing the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. They had been slaves for 430 years. God brought them out with a mighty hand. Remember the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, marching across. That big Exodus out of slavery in Egypt was the big event that had just happened when Moses was up on that mountain. Well, then read carefully what you see here in the transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, verses 30 and 31 particularly. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And you go, well, okay, so what? It would mean more to you if they had just left the Greek word behind departure there untranslated and just gave you the Greek word, put it in English letters so you could read it, because the Greek word there translated departure, the the literal Greek word is exodus. That's the Greek word. And so it literally says they spoke of his exodus that he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Jesus was about to bring about another, a new, a better, a bigger, more important, more eternal exodus for all of his people. God brought Israel out of slavery to Egypt in the first exodus. Jesus was going to bring all his people out of slavery to sin in the big exodus that he accomplished at Jerusalem. Deliverance from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin one day. This is the Jesus that Luke presents to us in Luke 9.23. If anyone would come after me, who is me? He's God himself. He's God in human flesh. His glory is the same glory that appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai. This is the Jesus to have in mind when he says, if anyone would come after me. This is a high calling. This is a a serious calling. Deal. What you, what you come, now it's going to be serious words in this verse and the verses immediately following, but just know, this is the one who made you talking. This is the one who made you, and he is showing you where and how to find the life that he created you to have. 
And it's going to be the most satisfying life. And the good news of this verse, Luke 9.23, is that at, at rock bottom, what is it? It's an invitation. It's an invitation. Notice how expansive this verse is. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me. Now Jesus had just asked who the crowds said that he was. And now he's talking to the crowds. Because it specifically says he said to all of them, and not just all of the twelve, all of the people who had gathered, of whom the twelve were part. And, he, and, and it specifically said to all of them, invited anyone who would to come. But even there, even there, if you had been reading the Gospel of Luke up to this point, even there, Luke would have already taught you how to think about this invitation. If anyone would come. Think about what you find in Luke just in the chapter before this. Luke chapter 8, flip back there. And there's a lot going on in this chapter. But one of the most important important things that you find in this chapter is the parable at near the beginning of this chapter the parable of the sower you see that parable in verses four through eight of luke eight i won't read it but you 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 may be familiar with that parable where jesus talks about a man who went out sowing seed and some of that seed fell on the path and some of that seed fell on the rock and some of the seed fell in the thorns and then some fell on good soil and he talks about how the different Things affected how the seed grew. So the, those that fell on the path, the people trampled it. And those that, the seed that fell on the rock, it initially grew, but it withered because it had no deep root. And those who fell in the thorn, they didn't thrive because the thorns choked them out. But the, 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 the seed that fell on the good soil grew. This parable is unique among all the parables that Jesus told because he actually explains this one. He doesn't always explain his parables. Even his disciples are like, I don't know what that parable means, Jesus. He's like, he who has ears to hear. Apparently you don't. Um, but he actually explains this one. And it's one of the only times. And he, he himself explains it, not Luke. And he does that in verses 9 through 15. Just looking at those, passage, those verses, he says that the seed that's being sown is the word of God. He says that in verse 11. The word of God going out. And the seed on the path that got trampled on, Jesus says, is someone who hears the word, and then the devil takes away what he heard. Now, it doesn't say how the devil does that, but it is, it could happen in a lot of ways. I will say this, just as a practical point. Um, if you should uh, be so blessed as to, to, if you've been praying for someone to come to faith in Christ, you've been sharing the gospel with them, sharing Christ with them, and praying for them to come to Christ, and then you are so blessed to one day God opens their eyes and they do come to faith in Christ, and you, you were able to be the one that led them to Christ, don't stop praying for them at that point. Start praying all the more. Because Jesus says, some people are like, they hear it and, and the devil comes and takes away what they heard. So sometimes the, the spiritual struggle starts in earnest once they come to faith in Christ. Right, but he says the seed that fell on the rock and then withered, it withered because it had no root. That is huge. That is huge to you, to me. Because I'll say it particularly to you because it was my story too. So many grow up in a church that, yes, preached the gospel but was not strong in discipleship. 
Like you heard the gospel and you believed, but nobody came alongside you to, to, to live life with you. Right? And so, and so you, you've maybe been a believer for a long time, but there's not any deep roots. And, in, and that's my story. Until I got to Auburn, I had, I had, I'd never had guys to disciple me. But I got to Auburn, and I had people disciple me. People at the, at the BCM, people here at Lakeview, and it made all the difference in the world in my Christian life to this day. Taught me how to read the Bible. Taught me how to pray. Taught me how to be a witness for Christ and, and basically just how to live the Christian life. And how to teach other people to do the same. That is why... Just to give you a flavor of what we're about in our college ministry. That's why discipleship is such a huge part of everything we do in this college ministry. Uh, we're not trying to impress anybody. We're not trying to entertain anybody. We want you to know Jesus and love Jesus and follow Jesus. We don't want anyone to fall away and wither in their faith, and it can happen before you know it in your college career. We don't want anybody to fall away and wither away in their faith because they didn't have deep roots in the faith. Plug in a church. Plug in both feet and, and, and let someone disciple you. If somebody says, would, would you like to read the Bible with me and, and I'd like to disciple you, just say yes. Don't do something dumb. Join a missional community group. Join a missional community group. Come on Wednesday nights. Um, we, we actually, part of our... Uh, Missional community group strategy this year, we're going to read through the New Testament this year. And on your table, you have a card that looks like this that has a reading plan for reading through the New Testament. It's also on our website if you want a digital copy. That starts tomorrow. Read a chapter a day. Uh, if you want help thinking through it, we have a podcast. If you, if you go on your, whatever podcast app you use, search Lakeview College Ministry. Two of them will show up. One of them has my name on it, Kevin Webb. Choose that one. Um, and, and the reason I'm telling you that in conjunction with this is you can find Sunday School on that podcast. You can find Wednesday Night on that podcast. But there will also be, at least for this school year, a daily podcast, a short daily podcast on every chapter of the New Testament. So I would encourage you to read the chapter and then perhaps listen to the podcast if you want to think more about it. But get in the, in the Word. You can grow deep roots in the faith. Don't be that, that seed that fell on the rock, that withered away. Because you had no root. But Jesus said the seed that, that fell in the thorns, it was choked out by the thorns. And, and, those, and those who, who what, that, what that symbolized in verse 14 are those who choose, as he puts it in verse 14, those who uh, choose the, the riches and pleasures of life. They are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. Their love for those things are greater than their love for Christ. So they don't follow him. The invitation's open, but they don't want to. They don't want to follow him. Love, love the world. Love the pleasures that the world gives. Late in the Apostle Paul's life and ministry, in the last letter he, that we know that he wrote, in his second one to Timothy, there's one sad line at the end of, of 2 Timothy. In verses 9 and 10 of 2 Timothy 4, Here's what he tells to Timothy in Luke, 2 Timothy 4, 9 and 10. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, Demas, we don't know a lot about him, but 
Presumably, he's a guy who had gone on missionary endeavors with Paul. Missionary journeys, even. And Demas, at some point, left Paul, left the ministry because he was, as he put it right there, in love with this present world. My question to you is, how do you fall in love with this present world? Is it all of a sudden? Does anybody just fall in love with this present world just like that? No. People fall in love with this world little bit by little bit. Right? And that's another reason to invest yourself with both feet in a local church. Come, come worship with us, but with both feet. Right? Because apart from that, you will drift. You will drift spiritually. I, I've given our, our students who have been here before, the, 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 I think in pictures sometimes, and the, the image that always comes to my mind is when I was little and I was at the beach with my parents and I had gone out and I was playing in the water and they were up here, here's their umbrella and here's their chairs and stuff and I go out and I'm jumping around in the water and the waves and everything and I'm out there for several minutes and I guess they're not paying attention. I look up and I don't know where my parents are. And that's a panicky feeling when you're like eight. Where are my parents? They're not right there where I left them. Where are they? And I look around for a minute and they're way down there. Why? Because I was in the water just having a good time, not paying attention. You know, the waves don't just fall straight ahead. The, the waves were falling at an angle, and every time I bobbed up, it carried me a little bit further down the water. I didn't even realize it when it was happening. I was just having fun. That is exactly what happens in your Christian life. When you don't invest with both feet, and you get plugged into a local church, and you're in the Word, and you're in prayer, you're in missional community gr- groups with with other believers, I'm telling you, there is a current to our culture. And you will bob a little further away from Jesus Christ. You will drift. But of course, there is good soil that fell on, that the seed fell on, and it grew and it bore fruit. The good soil is the person who hears the word of Christ and believes and perseveres in following him. And that invitation, according to Jesus, is open. The first words of Luke 9.23 are an invitation to see Jesus for who he is and start the path of following hard after him and persevere in that path with your brothers and sisters in Christ. There is not a more important word ever in your life, but especially if you're coming, hear this freshman, I love you. Especially if you're coming to college for the first time and you've just now left home Here you are in Auburn, and it's awesome. You will go to Auburn, and then you'll graduate, and you'll feel like, I've got to leave now, but I don't want to leave. I want to come back. Most people do. But you're here, and it's awesome. And you you feel a measure of freedom over your decisions that you've never felt before. And I just give you this gentle caution. Don't do dumb things. Don't do something dumb. Don't make a dumb decision. If you do, I'll forgive you. We'll all forgive you, love you. But try hard not to. Make dumb decisions. In other words, walk toward Christ and just keep walking toward him. It'll be the best decision you ever made, and he is worth it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much for the challenge of it. Thank you that you don't just teach us and tell us the easy things to hear, but the best things sometimes are the hard things to hear.
um, and uh, help us to think through this carefully and, and, uh, and, and, and certainly apply it and think of it in terms of our own personal walk with you. Help us to do that now for just a few minutes around our tables. In Jesus' name, amen.